Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Well, as I mentioned, you're in for a special treat this morning. We were thinking about who uh, who to conclude this series, and we could think of no one better than our friend, uh, the Reverend Nicole Eunice. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Nicole. Some of you will know Nicole. She's been a regular uh, preacher and teacher here for us at Westlake. Uh, Nicole and I were ordained together. We went through our ordination process in our denomination, uh, which is its own kind of gauntlet that you get to walk. And we, we went through that together, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, But more than that, Nicole has uh, been just a great friend and colleague to me in ministry and a great friend to us as a church. Uh, Nicole has over 20 years pastoral experience. Uh, she's just written and is publishing her fifth book. Uh, and that fifth book is actually on a subject matter that I think Nicole has a special gift for. Uh, Nicole, I, I got to get the book title right, but it's Look Out, My Bible is, oh help, My Bible is Alive. Help, my Bible is alive. Nicole has a great gift for making the scriptures come alive, and uh, you're going to get just a taste of that this morning. Nicole, we're honored to have you. Would you give a loud, thunderous Westlake welcome to Nicole Eunice? You were more thunderous than the 930, so you can take that with you today. Um, You guys, there's a lot of places that you could be today. I know it's a beautiful day, and you're on a lake, and I'm grateful that you decided to come here. I think that God blesses that faithfulness in us when we just keep showing up, and I think it's kind of like um, muscle memory that when you really commit to be in worship every week, you start to really miss it when you're not in it. And I think that God especially calls us pastors to the ministry because he wants us to be in church multiple times on one Sunday. So um, if that's what you need, you're always welcome to come multiple times. Um, There's something about being together that reminds us that there is a bigger story than the one that we can just see. So I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I've got three children, a husband, and a full life there. But I'm always so overjoyed to get to come be with you guys. And I know that it takes a lot to be in a church that meets in a school. I was in a church plant for 11 years in a school before um, we were in a building. And you just have to keep being faithful and showing up. So jump in if you can. It's worth it. It's worth what you're doing here. So this morning, I get to wrap up this series. I love the superlatives idea and what we're doing. And we're going to be talking about the story of Joseph, who's found in Hebrews 11. It's an interesting thing that it says about Joseph in this passage. It actually says, by faith, Joseph when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. That seems strange, that little fact, but I think that what we're going to find out is that Joseph never, his heart never left home. His heart was always still with home and even at his death. And I think that the faithfulness that he showed in his death has everything to do with the actions that he showed in his life. And we're going to look at that together. So this morning, I got up in my hotel, and I went down to get some coffee, and there was a gentleman standing there, and I said, "Um, good morning, how are you? And he said, I woke up, and I was like, sometimes that's how it feels. You know, sometimes the best we can do is what he said, I woke up. That's the hardest part of the day. I was like, I thought to myself, I understand that. I know that feeling. I know that feeling when it feels like life is just the hardest part of it is just doing life. But as the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who claim um, this kingdom reality, 
I think God's actually calling us to live with more than I just woke up. But I think a lot of life feels that way sometimes. And I think when we see how Joseph's life played out from the early dreams that he held to the reality that he experienced, I think that we can all find inspiration for our own faith because we're all dreamers. You may have forgotten how to dream. It may have been a long time, but you know that when you're a particularly young person, you have dreams about the difference that you can make. You have dreams about how you're going to find meaning. You have dreams of the kind of spouse or the kind of parent that you'll be oftentimes as a reaction to what you've seen in your own family. We have these dreams about who we are, but then life happens. And oftentimes it feels like the best we can do is wake up and keep on living out what can feel like a mediocre kind of Groundhog Day experience. But I do believe that the God who speaks in the scriptures is speaking to us still today in 2019, that what we're going to see this morning in this story of Joseph is absolutely relevant to our own lives as well. So if you haven't been in vacation Bible school in a while or you're new to scripture, gather around boys and girls as I tell you the story of Joseph, which takes up a ton of real estate in scripture. It's like 14 chapters long. So I think there's a lot for us to learn, and obviously we're not going to be able to unpack all of it, but I do want to tell you the story of Joseph, particularly related to his faith, in four acts. So I'm going to do that in four parts. Why do some people thrive despite pain, and why do others falter even when life doesn't seem that bad? What gives a person the ability to hope and to try again and to keep on becoming? Today, I think we're going to be inspired by what that might mean for us through this story of Joseph. So part one, part one of Joseph is when Joseph was a dreamer. He enters into the scene, and what you need to know about the context of this guy, we meet Joseph when he's 17 years old. He's the youngest of 12 brothers, but what you need to know is his dad was Jacob. That's Jacob, who's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a big part of our faith in the Old Testament. If you've been around church for a while, if not, that's okay. What you need to know about Jacob is that Jacob loved a woman named Rachel. But in order to marry Rachel, he had to first marry her older sister. And he married his, her sister Leah, and seven years later he was able to marry Rachel. Well, Leah gave him a lot of children, and Rachel gave him one. Now, if that sounds like a Jerry Springer show, it is. Just because it was back then doesn't mean that that was not a bad idea. And if you read Genesis, you're going to find out it was a terrible idea. Leah and Rachel hated each other. The jealousy was rampant. The way that they were engaged with this life that they had to live was so dysfunctional. But we know that because Jacob's first love was Rachel, when Rachel bore him a son, that son was his favorite. And this is the story of Joseph at 17. It says, now Israel, which is another name for Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. You, remember, you might've seen that on Broadway. That's the coat of many colors. So Joseph was sort of this favored child. And if you grew up in a family like we all did, you know about the dysfunction of the favorite child when there is a favorite my husband and I met in college, and I remember going home to his house for the first time when we were dating. He lived in New Jersey and had a really close relationship with his grandmother. And we were together with his grandma, and she called him Boof. And I was like, Dave, is your nickname Boof? He's like, that's short for Boof and Hauntus. I was like, really? Does your grandma have a nickname for every other grandkid? He's like, no. <laughs> and believe me, he was the favorite, and everybody knew it. When there's a favorite child, everybody knows it. All the other siblings know it. And Joseph was clearly the favorite child, and every other sibling knew it. And as you can imagine, there was tons of jealousy. And it was even more than just a little bit of jealousy, 
Because what we read in the upcoming verses in this part one, in Joseph's story of being 17, is that his brothers didn't just dislike him, but they hated him. It actually says in one chapter that his brothers hated him. It says it three times in a row. It says when he got the coat of many colors, they hated him. And then he told them about a dream he had. And he said, hey, bros, gather around. I remember, he's the youngest. Gather around. I had a dream. We were all sheaves of grain. And my sheaf of grain was upright in the middle. And all of your sheaves of grain were bowing down. And they loved that. And so they hated him all the more, it says. It actually says twice that they hated him all the more. So if you have come from a dysfunctional family like most of us have, just know that there is no such dysfunction as biblical dysfunction. Like, you are not crazy. It is, you can find it in scripture, and it's bad. And it's bad here. There's pain, and there's jealousy, and there's hurt, and there's violence. And so, Joseph at 17, and this is interesting as well, I'm guessing, uh, when you're the favorite, and when you're confident enough to tell your brother's dream like that, there's probably some entitlement. There's probably some arrogance that develops when you have grown up that way. And we also know that Joseph, even at 17, which we know from other places in Scripture, would be old enough to be out tending sheep. He's at home while his brothers are out doing the work. And at one point, his dad says to him, hey, go check on your brothers. And so Joseph goes out to find his brothers, and his brothers together see him a long way off. And they begin to plot about how to kill him because they were serious about their hatred. Obviously, it was deep-rooted. But the brothers can't agree exactly on what to do. There isn't unity among them. And some of them want to sell him and some of them want to rescue him. And so they throw him when he comes to them into a cistern, which is kind of like a dugout well. And they just sit down next to the cistern and start eating a meal. Now think about that. I mean, if you've experienced any bullying of any kind, that's a lot of pain. And as this happens, what ends up happening is that instead of killing him, they do sell him. But, but there's a band of like raiders coming by and they just sell him for like 20 shekels of silver, just a little bit of money. And they let him go that way. And the older brother who did want to rescue him isn't able to. And so they have to make a plan. And so they take his coat and they dip it in blood and they bring it back to their dad and they say, this is what we found. So now all the brothers have colluded on a secret that they carry. And their, their dad, it says their dad mourns and mourns and mourns. Can you imagine knowing what you knew? Well, he was as good as dead. He was as good as dead. Joseph is a young man. And in his early 20s, three years into being in slavery, he's already seen more pain than most people do in their whole lives. So now we pause to ask, how did Joseph become who he is? Because it seems like the storyline is entitlement and arrogance and confidence. But what happens next is something different. It seems like he's living by a different story. And here's what I want to propose to you that I think matters for us. I believe that Joseph is relentlessly faithful because he's recklessly hopeful. Joseph's story unfolds, and he actually ends up in Potiphar's household, which is a a chief official in Pharaoh's royal work, sort of the royal structure, organizational structure. And he's in Potiphar's house, and it says that God was with him. And whatever he did prospered. But let's not forget that he's in slavery. But God is with him. And whatever he does prospers. It says that by just no time at all, Potiphar has just put everything under the command of Joseph. He just, only thing he thinks about is what he's going to eat because Joseph does such an incredible job. He's faithful and he's diligent and he shows up and he keeps on doing the honorable thing. And he always keeps mentioning his God. Remember, he's not even in his own country anymore. He's now in Egypt, but yet he still seems faithful in the way that he lives his life to the God that he serves. 
Genesis 39.2 says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. But then the story is still hard. Part two. Joseph's now rising in fame. And Potiphar's wife notices him and likes what she sees. And so she wants to get him to sleep with him, with sleep with her. So just in case you think that only guys are bad in the Bible, it's not true. We're all sinners. And so she wants to get a hold of Joseph, literally a hold of him. And while no one else is around, she actually grabs his cloak and is like, hey, you know, I mean, remember, this is a woman who's used to getting what she wants. And Joseph just like slips out of his cloak to get away from this temptation. And he's like, how, how would I ever just deny the, the honor that your husband has shown me by giving me so much authority? Would I take his wife too? No. And he goes and she is scorned and she's mad. So when her husband comes home, she's like, he tried to attack me. And so completely unjustly, completely with, with no reason at all, Joseph goes from the palace to the prison, part two. In the palace, he prospered. But how about after being wrongly accused and thrown in prison? Still, he prospered. Genesis 39. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. I can't wait for the day that we can ask Joseph, how did God show you his faithful love? When the dream that you had was so far away, When the pain and betrayal and abandonment that you had felt, you're no longer with your family, you're not in your home, and now you've been unjustly accused, and what seemed like it was maybe getting better is now getting worse. Yet somehow, God showed you his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. You see, for most of us, it's easy to be faithful in the palace. It's easy to be faithful when the job is good, when the marriage is working, when the kids are obedient, when the paycheck's coming in. But the question is, when you're in the prison, when you're far from the dream, when you're living in sort of an unjust, unredeemed story, can you still be faithful there? Can you be faithful in the prison as well? For some of us, the prison is the place that we can be faithful. We actually get into the valley of the shadow of death and we remember that we need our God. But for most of us, most of us Americans who are doing all right, we can be faithful when it's good. But when it's not good, particularly when it's not good because there's an injustice in your life, because something's unreconciled, because a dream doesn't seem to be coming true, because something seems unredeemed, can you still be faithful there? Because Joseph was. Joseph, I think, just kept being faithful because he had this reckless hope in something more. He just keeps calling on his God. And he keeps claiming a story that is written by this God, even when the dream seemed dead. So he's in the prison, and Pharaoh throws his cupbearer and his baker into prison. And as it would be, these guys have dreams that they can't figure out what they mean. And Joseph's like, hey, I can interpret dreams, not me, but my God will give me the ability to interpret your dreams. So tell me your dream. So the cupbearer tells him his dream first. And Joseph's like, I know what that dream means. It means in three days you're going to be reinstated. You're going to be right back with Pharaoh. And it's Joseph's moment because he's like, hey, and when you're back with Pharaoh, don't forget my kindness to you. Don't forget. So he takes his moment. And so now the baker gets up the courage to be like, hey, can you interpret my dream? So he tells the baker, Joseph, his dream. And Joseph says, in three days, you're going to have your head cut off and you'll be impaled on a pole. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. This is the end. So that's the story. And the cupbearer is restored, and the baker is gone. And now, 
This will be the moment, right? This will be the moment. Joseph will be remembered because as God loves him and as God's faithful. But it says in scripture, this tiny, important word. Verse 23 in uh, Genesis 40. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Next verse. When two full years had passed. You see, this is a story of a dream deferred, perhaps forgotten. And although he is faithful in the prison, it doesn't mean that it was easy. Joseph, forgotten, far from home, living with a dysfunctional family who betrayed and abandoned him, lonely, wrongly imprisoned, and hopeful, and faithful. And two full years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And in the moment when Pharaoh has that dream and he asks his magicians and people to interpret it, and nobody can interpret the dream, the cupbearer remembers. And because God is sovereign and he is telling a story that oftentimes we can't see what he is doing, Joseph is right where the cupbearer left him for such a time as this. He is in just the right place. It only takes a minute to bring Joseph to the court. It says Joseph shaved. He got cleaned up. Just in case you forgot, he was actually in prison. He gets cleaned up and he's brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I hear that you can interpret dreams. And he actually, once again, is recklessly hopeful. Genesis 41. It's, it's beyond my power to interpret your dream, Joseph said, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. He continued to be confident about his gifting and confident in God, despite the fact that his own dreams had not come true. Remember that dream at 17. Despite that, he kept being faithful. So Pharaoh tells him this story. It's like this dream's long and drawn out. It's got all these parts to it. And Joseph's like, hey, let me tell you what's about to happen. For seven years, Egypt is going to have plenty. But after seven years, there's going to be a famine. So what you need to do, Pharaoh, I love his confidence. He's coming up out of prison. And he's like, now that I'm in your presence, let me just tell you a few things. This happens in scripture all the time. God confidence is completely different than human confidence. And when we are faithful to God, it means that when he opens opportunities for us, we can be confident with what he has given us to share. And so he says to him, hey, Pharaoh, this is about to happen. So what you need to do is you need to find somebody who's honorable, who's faithful, who's skilled and gifted. You need to put them in charge and you need to get all the stuff and you need to build storehouses and store all this stuff for seven years so that when that seven years of famine comes, people will know you're renowned because you'll be prepared. And he just, that's it. And Pharaoh's like, you. And in that moment, Joseph goes from prison back to palace, completely given authority and honor. It says he got a signet ring on his hand, a robe that's very symbolic in the Old Testament of a new identity. He's given the identity of being in Pharaoh's household. It says that he was given a chariot so that people could shout, make way when he came by. I think that's really funny. Like it just, I mean, can you imagine what that would feel like? Rags to riches story all at once. But just in case you think that this meant that Joseph had forgotten his family, just know that in those seven years, he prospered still because God was with him. And in those first seven years, when Egypt was gathering all of that food, it says that Pharaoh also gave him a wife and that Joseph had children. And listen to this part of the story in Genesis 41. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Despite his brokenness, I really believe, and, and Joseph doesn't know what's going to happen at the end of this story. This is the story for Joseph right now. 
God has restored me. I am in a place that is not my home. I am with people who are not my people. I miss my family and I'm burdened by this, but God is enough. God is enough because God has helped me forget. And it wasn't about God making the dream come true. It was just about God being enough. Joseph was faithful to God's story, even with the brokenness and pain. He had not forgotten his home. This verse is a window into the private struggle of grief and loss that must have been so real to Joseph. Over those 13 years, he went from an arrogant 17-year-old to a man of great power and strength. He was faithful to God, but life was not without trouble. But I believe his heart was surrendered to God's story. It's always God. It's always his story. And Joseph let God shape the story no matter how the circumstances went. And over the next years, the famine becomes severe in the land, and we get to part four. When Jacob, who is still alive, with all the brothers who are still alive, because of the famine, has to send his sons to Egypt. By this time, based on what it says in Scripture, Joseph was probably 39 or 40 years old. He has not seen his family. He has no idea what's happened to them. There is no internet. He didn't hit them up on Instagram. It's the end, right? And, and here he is, a 40-year-old man in charge of everything in Pharaoh's kingdom. And he sees his brothers come into the court. And just in case you think he forgot, it says multiple times in Scripture, two or three times in a row, Genesis 42, he turned away from them and began to weep. When he sees them again, and it's a long, detailed story of what happens when the brothers come and how Joseph sort of figures out where they are in life and, and what their intentions really are that I can't get into, but I hope you'll read it. It says in 43, Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. You see, even though Joseph was okay with the story as it was, as told by the way he named his children, even though he still said, God is enough for me. He had not forgotten he was holding that pain. He was holding that loss. And when his brothers come to him, he's overcome with emotion as he sees a dream he has come back to life. And he provides for his brothers. He finally tells them who he is. They can't even tell who he is. I mean, he looks Egyptian. He's an Egyptian name. He looks different. And he's like, no, it's me. It's me. It's Joseph. It's your brother. And of course, his brothers are terrified. He has all this power, and they know what they did. You don't forget things like that. And he says to them, no, 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 brothers, brothers, it was God who sent me here, not you. You see, Joseph was living in this big redeemed story of what was happening. And you think of that dream when he was upright and his brothers bowed down to him. And in fact, through this crazy story, palace to prison and all the years in between, God has actually allowed Joseph to provide for his family, his own family, and his whole nation. His brothers came after his, his father died even. Jacob dies later. They move them all to Egypt. They, they provide for them. Pharaoh's like, give them the best land, all the stuff. So all of these Israelites, the, the, these 12 brothers, come to Egypt. This is actually how Israelites got to Egypt because the next part of the story is Moses. Remember that? So they're all now in Egypt because of this famine, and they're being provided for while all the other countries are impoverished and in this famine. But not Jacob's family. They prosper in this land of Egypt. And even though all of that had happened, and even though Joseph spoke kindly to them and said, no, this was God's plan. This was God's plan over and over again. When Jacob dies, his brothers are terrified that Joseph is now going to turn on them. They kept on holding on to that grief and all of that sin. 
In Genesis 50, they came and throw themselves down before him. This is where we see the dream actually come to life. Genesis 50. His brothers say, we're your slaves. But Joseph says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you. What God intended for evil, Joseph knew, was used for good. What, what they intended for evil, God used for good. I'm sorry. What they intended for evil, God actually used for good. This is the pinnacle verse of God's sovereignty in our lives. God doesn't bring evil to you, but human effort might bring evil into your life. But God can use it for good. God is our redeeming God who uses it for good. And over the course of a 20-year story with Joseph, we see his relentless faithfulness, this reckless hope that God would provide, that God would do. And God did. And God did it. And this isn't a story just of ancient Bible times. This is a story of 2019. This is a story of you and of me. And so often we have these dreams of this life and we think, no, God must not work like that anymore. And I think God's just sometimes looking around and saying, can anybody have a little faith in the life that you have, in the life that he's given you to live? What would it look like to be relentlessly faithful right where you are, to just keep showing up and to actually believe that those dreams God wants to redeem, whether here on earth or in heaven, because we're citizens of high heaven, Philippians 3, which means it will all be redeemed and it will all be reconciled, whether here or not. But we don't have to give up on that dream that our God, a God of love and of compassion, a God of justice and of redemption, wants to do that in your life. Joseph's 17-year-old dreams do come true, but I don't think it turned out the way he expected His story is full of dysfunction and pain over a long period of time, but it's also full of hope and faith and forgiveness. So here's what I think we can take away for our own faith this morning. The first is that it is never too late to have your story rewritten by Christ. It's never too late. God is infinitely patient with us. We have these dreams in our heart. Perhaps you've wandered away from that, but it's never, ever too late to have that story rewritten. 1 Peter chapter 1, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So we get to live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. My brother, um, my brother who's 14 months younger than me, so we were like Irish twins growing up and um, he's now a military commander. Um, He's a big time leader and he went to war several times and in the process of that went through some really deep suffering not only suffering due to the pain of what war and the violence of war, but also through some leadership struggles and some um, places where there was injustice to him. And I was with him recently and I said to him, Matt, how did you get through that? And he said, Nicole, you always wanna remember the very truest thing about you. You always wanna put your priorities in line with what is the truest thing about you. And what Jesus says is the truest thing about us is that when we are in Christ, we are his sons and daughters. That the truest part of my identity and your identity is as a child of God. And then what might come next might be your identity as a spouse or as a parent. And then after that, maybe, the role that you're playing right now. And then after that, but to to reorder those priorities, to make sure that at the heart of what I believe about my story is the truest thing about me. And relentless faith is believing It's believing that the truest thing about you is that God has called you his son 
that God has called you his daughter and that the promises of scripture are promises for you. The second thing that I think we can take out of this faith of Joseph is that pain has a purpose and a timeline. Pain has a purpose and a timeline. 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Like I said, God does not bring evil into your life, but he can redeem evil in your life. The hard thing about human freedom is that we have this incredible responsibility in the way we live. And the hard thing about human freedom means that we hurt one another and we're hurt. And we think, did God make this happen? And I know because I'm a counselor, that there can be a lot of violence and pain in a room this size. And God did not make that happen, but he can redeem it. And your pain can have a purpose. And actually, that is our greatest testimony. Our greatest testimony of faith. When the guy next to you at the coffee shop says, well, at least I woke up this morning. Your greatest testimony will never be in your successes. It will always, always be in your hardships. Because it's in our hardships that, that people see that we are different. It's in our hardships that people see that we have an identity that gives us a reckless hope in something far greater than what our eyes can see. So we are a family of redeemed and saved people. Joseph suffered not on his own volition. He sacrificed not because he made that choice, but in suffering and in sacrificing, he saved his family and a whole nation of people. But Jesus chose sacrifice. Jesus chose suffering so that we might be redeemed. It says in Hebrews 12, right after this hall of faith in Hebrews 11, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and pioneer of faith. You have faith, the pioneer of faith is Jesus Christ. The one we follow is him. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, Joseph is just a shadow of the Jesus that we get to serve right here, right now. Joseph inspires us with his faith, faith, but Jesus gives us the power to live out our faith. And in a moment, we're going to come to the communion table. This is the place that we actually express that to be true. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, there's some sacraments in the Bible, but there's only one sacrament that repeats over and over again, and it's communion. And I think the reason that we get invited to the Lord's table over and over again is because it's a reminder to us that we choose what story to live into. Are you going to live in the story you can see? Are you going to live in the one that God's writing, where he's the hero, and he's sovereign, and he's working things together, and that he didn't give you dreams without a purpose, that they do have a purpose, that God is the one who does that work. And when we come to the table, we, we get a visceral reminder that we choose Jesus' life instead of our own, that we lay down what we can see and choose what faith is, because faith is being certain of what we cannot see. Joseph was able to make an entire family new. And into his death, when at his death, he said, bring my bones up out of here. He had not forgot, forgotten where his home was. And actually, Moses does bring his bones out of Israel. It I mean, out of Egypt. It happens. He goes to Israel. So 1 John 4, 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. Today is an opportunity when we come to the table to ask the question, am I living by what I can see or by what I can't see? What would it look like today to choose this week to be relentlessly faithful in the life God has given you as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a coworker? Perhaps you're living in a palace right now or maybe it feels like a prison, but either way, 
God can be with you and can give you the ability to prosper in every situation. Let's pray.